You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. Seven walks, 12 hits, and Whoa. 11 runs. <laughs> and a hit batter just for good measure. And two wild pitches. And they walked away with a lineup that added Mike Zanino, Yandy Diaz, and Avisel Garcia. Oh, and Guillermo Heredia. This is what we live for. <laughs> the answer, uh, it's a Swedish chef. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 134. Everything hurts and I'm dying. No, seriously, uh, I'm actually better than that. <laughs> I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by my usual co-host, Joshua Housem. Josh, uh, does everything hurt and are you dying? Nope, just getting ready for my chance in the Jays bullpen. <laughs> Just, I can hear you swinging the arm around, just loosening <laughs> up that critically damaged labrum. Um, hey, it's the rotator cuff. Right. So we're going to talk about uh, Tapera, and we're going to talk about Axford, and we're going to maybe talk about Norris and how they're all not not at 100% of varying levels of. Uh, what that means for the Jays' bullpen in general, I guess, is what we're going to do. And just for just to get on the action, Dalton Pompey hurt himself in yet another unusual spring training injury, which I'm not going to make fun of him for, but I'm certainly going to talk about. Uh, Eloy Jimenez uh, signed an extension. What does that mean for Vlad Jr., if anything? Um, will we be seeing Jordan Romano in a Blue Jays uniform again after having lost him uh, to the Rangers? Uh, we have an interview because we have not talked about the Tampa Bay Rays. And R.J. Anderson is ready to do that with us. So we're going to go talk to him about why they behave the way they do and how they still manage to be good despite all of that. We have your questions, of course. And we have a gold star because the Blue Jays uh, did a nice thing. Uh, it's not, you know, everything, but a nice thing for their minor leaguers. We shall begin, indeed, talking about this Blue Jays bullpen, which is uh, just practically emptied right out with uh, the injury bug. Yeah. I mean, you know, as we said, like spring training, you, you don't get healthier as spring training goes along. <laughs> I think that's one of your favorite ones. But uh, yeah, and the the fact that it, it it's easy to prove. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, so, <laughs> but just what we're about to talk about. Yeah. 
And the Jays got a double hit, you know, like the, the are already having some issues with health of their pitchers because, you know, Phelps isn't ready. Buckholz isn't ready. So health might not be the wrong right word, but availability. Right. And then Ryan Tapera and John Axford on Wednesday, it's like, okay, well, they're out and with more news tomorrow, which is never what you really want to hear. It's like more news, not, you know, we'll see how he's doing tomorrow. It's more news. And the news was not good. So Tapera was diagnosed with inflammation in his right elbow, which, you know, that can mean a lot of things. But he's also going to visit Dr. David Altchek, who does Tommy John surgeries. Uh, there's a sad trombone sound effect I don't have queued up. No, yeah. you don't want that consult with a specialist. You just don't no. want to have to go there. Yeah, orthopedic surgeon. Now, in Axford, it was, uh, he has a stress reaction in the olecranon bone. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. In because, his right elbow. because you and I have never heard of that before. Be honest. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you know, they just need to shut him down uh, because if it keeps putting stress on that elbow, on that bone, then it might cause a fracture and that's very bad. But and this is this injury actually is what ended you Darvish's year last year. So also not good. <laughs> Two long term injuries there. And then uh, Norris, but Norris was feeling left out. I think. Uh, so he decided that he was not feeling right. That was the quote we got in, in heavy yep. quotation marks. Uh, you know, maybe he just looked around and got kind of sick to his stomach at looking at his compatriots. So here's the weird one. So Norris, like Axford, is on a minor league deal. His opt-out is today, which is when we're recording this on Thursday. He was supposed to throw. And he was locked. He was a lock to make the rotate the bullpen. But then he just didn't feel right, and then he couldn't throw. So it's like, you can't just add the guy to your roster if you don't know what's wrong with his arm. Now, that's his opt-out. He can stick around for longer if he wants. Yeah, so my guess is they'll probably just negotiate a later opt-out just to make sure he's healthy. Yeah. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want to decline the opt-out because then they can just keep him in the minors all year. And then that, that that wouldn't be good for him at all. So they'll probably just negotiate an opt-out like a week from now or two weeks from now or something like that. Well, no, probably a week. Um, you know, and, they, and Montoyo said that he might throw, you know, today or you know, the next day, tomorrow. But, you know, when you listen to this, it'll be today. Not yesterday. Try. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll just hand out a – it's a little scorecard conversion wheel with every podcast. It's easy. Um yeah, but anyway, he might throw Friday. How about that? That's better. Uh, hey, I, I, let's name the days of the week. So he may throw Friday. My, yeah. my, okay, so let's just go back to the impact on the bullpen, obviously. Uh, these were potentially the seventh and eighth inning guys. I mean, Ryan Tapera has been the eighth inning guy for two years now, on and off, mostly on. Six, seventh, and eighth so inning six, guys. <laughs> so uh, this is not, you know, your middle reliever you just lost. You 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 were having, and, and you can't go to Clay Buckholes. To, to fill in that gap. What 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 did they do? Um good question. <laughs> so what this means really is that you know, Joe Biagini is now the primary setup man, or at least to begin the season. That's the way they made it sound. And Tim Meza will probably be get the, the top left handed innings, which he was always going to get that, but now he'd be throwing against lefties in the seventh and eighth as opposed to throwing in the sixth and having Norris and Tapera face the lefties later on. And so, but those guys were always going to make the club. 
But now it's like it seems like David Paulino has a really good chance. Sam Gaviglio has a really good chance. <laughs> and the weird one, of course, though, is Elvis Luciano, the 19-year-old, because he has been awful. <laughs> but... But he's got a chance. He's got a chance because they have to give him back if they can't put him on the 25, man. And if they do, maybe, you know, I mean, if he's really awful, they just let him go after a few appearances in the bigs. You know, hope that <laughs> Phelps is ready or something. But let's just, would you like to hear Elvis Luciano's spring training numbers? Sure. I'm, I'm sitting down. He has thrown six and two thirds innings. And the good, he has eight strikeouts. Very good. That's like more than the bad. Mm -hmm. The bad. Seven walks, 12 hits, and 11 runs. (laughs) And a hit batter, just for good measure. And two wild pitches. Uh, You know, I know whip is not the advanced, you know, walks plus hits per inning pitch, not the advanced stat that, you know, anybody would go to. But what would, what is his whip? (laughs) 2.85. So (laughs) almost three base runners every inning. That, yeah, it's that's hard a, to succeed that way. That is very awkward for the overall performance level. Well, uh, Elvis still in the building, though, because of circumstances beyond our control. Are we done with injuries? No, we're not done with injuries. We have one more injury. And we haven't had a he was cutting chicken and has a finger infection because he sliced himself up. <laughs> um, so we have instead uh, Dalton Pompey hit his head on some bats sticking out of a rack and went into the concussion protocol after he did that and was scratched. Yeah, see, if he wasn't dealing with concussion protocol, we would be laughing at him for this because this yes. is just ridiculous. Yeah, if I mean, if he, if he let's say he gave himself a black eye and couldn't see, uh, you know, for a day or two, that would be kind of awkwardly hilarious. But uh, the fact that he's had a bunch of concussions is bad that, you know, he hit himself hard enough in the head. Well, here's the thing with concussions, right? You don't have to hit yourself that hard to give yourself another one. Every time you get a concussion, it becomes even easier to get another one. So if you just hit yourself in the right spot just a little hard, you can give yourself a concussion. And then they last longer. So. This is very bad. Hopefully it's just a, a mild thing that he just dazed himself, but uh, it's, you know, it's not good. No, and I mean, there is the possibility that he was being extra cautious himself, um, knowing that that's the potential for him, um, which I respect that, you know, if he thought, you know what, better safe than sorry, I'm just going to take the next day to see if I have any after effects. Because as you said, you, your fiance has had concussions, but I mean, you know, lots of guys in sport have had these chronic problems and and have really paid the price for them in the long run. Yeah. So, so we're that, hoping that, you know, that he's fine and that he can finish out his trial spring training where he's getting all the time and, you know, that he's just fine because, you know, we don't want we don't wish this on anybody. But that's that's four basically in one day people who could not answer the bell yeah it's pretty bad (laughs) and one week before the opening of the regular season in north america yeah uh yeah now just before we move on like i do think it's interesting for some guys because david paulino he was probably ticketed for the minors maybe not but it seemed likely especially if phelps was ready but he's a guy that i'm 
really excited to see because he's got just ridiculous stuff. He's just never been able to stay healthy. He fits right in, right? But yeah, <laughs> you know he can he can throw multiple innings, and I, I'm just excited to see him in the bigs because I think he can be really good. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes the cloud has a silver lining, so I think we're all hoping for a little something out of that. Um, tell me about Eloy Jimenez. He's a White Sox for a long time. Uh, and more specifically, yeah, this matters. <laughs> you know, the White Sox were the happiest team in the world that Vlad Jr. was being held down for service time because Eloy Jimenez is almost as good. And he was also being held down for service time, but everybody else was talking about the Blue Jays. Then right. Vlad got hurt, and all of a sudden the, show, the topic shifted to <laughs> Eloy Jimenez. And uh, the White Sox actually sent him to the minors, and then they agreed to an extension for six years with two options. And what's the total dollar value on that? Uh, it, it can reach $75 million. With them, And then there's $2.5 million in bonuses in there. But... Uh, What's interesting about this deal, just from his perspective and the way the White Sox have done this, is that he's getting $11 million in his three pre-arbitration years, which lowers the burden in the arbitration years and the two free agent years for which they have options. Right. And that's a very smart thing. And this is where people are now saying the Blue Jays should do something similar with Vlad Guerrero Jr., to kind of front load the contract, just get well first. Give him one. Well, naturally, right? Get like try to like they're saying that this is a template because, like I said, Eloy Jimenez is right there with Vlad Guerrero Jr. in terms of reputation. Right, and uh, do you think the the Bryce Harper and Mike Trout signings have have changed that environment uh, for the teams? thinking about potential superstar players because obviously it hasn't changed much for the teams in the middle of the road players. That's a whole different discussion, but no, from, no, I, I don't think, I don't think so. I, I think that what, what has changed is, is the, uh, the value of these young players and the, uh, the understanding on these young players part that free agency might not be what they think free agency is going to be. Right. So so they're willing to sign. Now, this was a record contract for someone who's never played a game in the big leagues, and it was by a long shot. The previous record was Scott Kearney for $24 million or something like that. But uh, so going to Vlad Jr., though, this is where, you know, so like I said, it's understandable that there's a, there's a comp here because they're both elite prospects and they both were going to be held down for service time. But there are some problems with this comp because, first of all, Vlad Jr. is going to be held down now regardless. Because he's hurt. Right. You know, so he's not going to play before that service time deadline would have gone out, which is, I think, April 13th. And so because of that, you know, the eight-year deal that that uh, Jimenez signed would actually be like, you know, gaining only one extra year for Vlad no matter what they do because they can't put him on the open-day roster. Mm-hmm. The, the other problem is that Vlad is two year, two and a quarter, two and a third years younger than Eloy Jimenez. I think people maybe don't understand how stupidly young Vlad Jr. is. Right. He just turned 20 this month. Um, you know, he, that's why he's ready now, BCB, because <laughs> he said 19-year-old, not ready. But uh, so, But the reason this matters especially is because Eloy Jimenez moved his free agency from 28 
to 29 or 29 to 30. Vlad Guerrero Jr. would be moving his free agency from 26 to 27 or 28. And at, this is where the, I think the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado stuff comes in. 26-year-old free agents get huge contracts. Yes, because baseball has has acknowledged that that uh, that decline line is closer to the 25, 26 year old, you know, or the prime line, wherever you, what do you, what we want to call it. Those years in your prime are not 29, 30 and 31. That's just right. not the reality. Yeah. And, and the, the decline after 30 is steeper than people were, are willing to be paying money for. And so where this applies to Vlad is that those buyout years for free agency should cost a lot more. Yes. Hundred percent, and that's why I don't think we're going to see one of these. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if knowing who his dad is and his career, I'm wondering if he would, um, you know, bet on himself more. Oh, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up too because you know I I agree with that concept, but also there's no financial worry for him. I mean, Vlad Guerrero Senior made 125 million dollars in his career. Yeah. So, well, Vlad Jr. is taken care of. If he, if for some reason something happens and he breaks down and never plays another game in the in the pros, he still doesn't have to worry about getting by. Whereas Eloy Jimenez, I don't really know about his family situation, but I don't think he has the same kind of financial support. He got a two point eight million dollar bonus, but I'm, I'm guessing you know, there's, go- there is not a hundred twenty five million dollar uh, wage earner in his family. That's just a random guess based on <laughs> statistics. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably pretty safe there. Uh yeah. So yeah, you're right. Vlad has a different whole different family situation uh going on outside of his career. So he really can yeah. afford to roll those dice because he doesn't he doesn't have nearly as much at, at risk, right? Right, exactly. Now, from the Blue Jays perspective, the value of doing it really only is in the way that the White Sox structured the Jimenez contract, because the Jays have so few commitments at the moment that you know, putting that, being able to push that money to the front would help them when the team is more ready to take steps forward. Right. Rather than having the ARB money potentially pile up at the wrong time. Yep. We shall see. <laughs> but we probably won't see much. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, all right. So the last one is a, a note about the uh, a guy who used to be a Blue Jay, um, Jordan Romano. And then he went away in the Rule 5 draft to the Texas Rangers, which is the worst place ever to go if you're a Blue Jay personal opinion um <laughs> uh but the rangers aren't going to be able to roster him nope they they said today that he's officially not going to make the opening day roster and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming back to the blue jays because the way the the system works is that if you if a rule five pick is being sent down he first goes on waivers and every team has the option to claim him, and then he has his Rule 5 rights go to that team. So, you know, the way it works is then, they say some team, the Giants or whatever, who still have another Rule 5 of the Blue Jays, Travis Bergen, say they claimed Romano, they would have then have to keep him up all year. And that keeps working until he clears waivers, at which point he then gets offered back to the Blue Jays for $50,000. So, it's a, it's a process. Now, he also mentioned that uh, the... Uh, whatchamacallit daniels is he still the yes, gm the yeah GM. daniels mentioned that they would like to trade back for him um if he does clear the waiver process as well so he if even if he reverts to being a blue jay he may be only a blue jay briefly 
um, because they do like him. They just don't like him enough to have him as a major leaguer. Yeah, and that's where this gets interesting because you know he's not young. I mean, he's 26, so it's not like this is a guy the Jays were probably really angry about losing when they didn't add him to the 40-man. If they thought this guy was really going to be something, they probably would have put a 26-year-old on the 40-man or 25 in 334 days. He turns 26 in April. Um, so I could see them being amenable to it. But the thing with this, and the same with Luciano if the Jays tried to do this, is that you know, there's no huge reason to do it, so they'll probably have to get good value back. And So I, I'd be very curious to see how that plays out. All righty. That concludes the depressing notepad for this week, which means we're going to go talk to RJ Anderson about the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that does very well and we can't figure out. And uh, I'm going to just a little teaser here. We're going to include a ghost story, sort of. We'll be right back. Watching the tide roll away. Sitting on the and we are happy to have back on Artificial Turf Wars, R.J. Anderson, now of CBS Sports. R.J., welcome Still. back to the program. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I believe this is the second time I've done the show since going to CBS. But man, the years fly by, don't they? <laughs> they, they do when you're not in the playoffs. That's what I would have to say. <laughs> That makes perfect sense to me. But on the bright side, time is, you know, said to be a man-made creation. So maybe we're all technically in the playoffs, even if we aren't uh, aware like of it, it right? <laughs> we're all in the it's, – it's playoffs somewhere. Um, so that's a – wow, what a philosophical way to start a uh, <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays preview. I'm going to go to to last season, I guess. Yeah, we had a, a curiosity. We didn't really watch the opener – process play out over the course of a full season but we were wondering quickly do you think it made a big impact on that 91 win season and do you think it's going to be a competitive advantage this season now that other teams are starting to make whispers about trying similar strategy well i think the honest answer is i don't know you know you look at the one loss record in the games where they used the opener and i believe that they were something like 32 and 23 uh, that's not the exact figure but it, you know they had a winning record in those games but when you dig a little deeper if you compare the eras of the openers uh versus you know what ryan yarbrough and yanni trinos and some of their over other bulk guys did in those bulk assignments versus you know the opening assignments i mean there was really no difference and you know you can sit here and say well eras is the best judge i really don't know what the best judge is for this you know you can look at peripherals as well but I don't know. Um, I was of the opinion that it'd be a marginal advantage that wasn't worth the headache. I don't know. I don't know if I've seen enough to say otherwise. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's the answer. And with regards, you know, whether it's going to be uh, a less efficient or you know less useful strategy because other teams are seemingly signing up to do it, I think it just depends on how it impacts lineups. You know, are they are they going to be more cognizant about how they build their lineups? Because if so. And they build it in an efficient way. I mean, there's only so many ways to build a lineup, right? You're still going to want your best hitters at the top. So I don't know. Maybe this leads to, maybe it leads to slightly less competitive advantage if teams are a little bit more cognizant about how they're building their lineups. But it's really hard to, you know, build a lineup and safeguard against every single pitcher on the staff. You know, there's going to be occasions where you're going to have, you know, three lefties batting in your top four or something like that. So I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting question, and frankly, I don't know if it was successful, and I don't know if they'll keep 
uh, being successful if you do deem it successful. I guess I would say basically what I said last year. You know, I think there's a marginal advantage there. I'm not sure if I would do it because I'm not sure if it's worth the headache, but it's uh, something that has a lot of people talking, right? No doubt about that. I think it was the very first question when Charlie Montoya was hired to run the to run, manage the Blue Jays. Will you use the opener? But so if it wasn't necessarily the big thing, what was it that led? I mean, you were on here last year. None of us thought that they were going to win 90 games. We thought they might be OK. But what did you see as the big surprises that sort of led to that good record? Yeah, I think I had them down for 79 wins. So that was 11 off. You know, that's almost twice the twice the size of a normal projection system. So that's pretty bad. But um, <laughs> if we're going through things, I think number one, you know, Blake Snell taking that big step forward. You know, he, I mean, literally won the Cy Young award. I don't think anyone needs to be educated on how good of a season he had, but that's not something you necessarily project for, even if you think that he was going to, you know, improve or be the version of himself that he looked like down the stretch in 2017. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to him. On top of that, you know, I think they got more out of Evaldi. And even Glass now, I know his you know raw stats don't look too impressive, but he had a good couple of open slash starts once he came over from Pittsburgh. So I think things like that played into it. Uh, another thing I would say is they got better than expected performances from a lot of their young relievers. I mean, Ryan Stanek, Jose Alvarado, Diego Castillo. I think those guys are legit arms, but I don't think I had them down for as good of a performance as they put forth. And, you know, obviously – when you start talking about reliever performance, you talk about situational value. And if you're playing, you know, a one run game or a lot of low scoring games or a lot of close games, you know, there's more value there than the raw lines would suggest. So I think that was a big thing. And also, you know, they got unexpectedly good performances out of a type of hitter that I really don't like, uh, you know, Joey Wendell, Malik Smith, uh, Matt Duffy, you know, especially Duffy and Wendell. These are two guys who are kind of slap hitters. You know, if you look at the, if you look at similar hitters in terms of the walk rate and their ISO and stuff like that, usually they don't perform too well. I think the last time I looked, you would get like a median uh, WRC plus of like 80 something, which, you know, both of those guys, I believe finished over 100. So whether that continues or not, Hey, I don't know, but based on, you know, based on their performance last year, I, I would say that those are the big areas where I missed or where I feel like I missed. And maybe you can even say something about, uh, the league as a whole. I mean, the American League was so bad last year. It looks like it's going to be very bad again this year. And, you know, to their credit, they fattened up on some of these bad teams, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can't dictate who you play against. You know, you can just go out there and uh, play the game. So I think those are probably the, what was that, four or five biggest factors uh, as to why they were way, way better than I gave them credit for being. So you yeah. alluded right there to the, the American League continuing to be a league full of let's not really try too hard teams. And the Rays have some young players, young pitchers, like you mentioned. And it seems like the biggest move they made, the single guy, was uh, Charlie Morton. Here they are on the cusp of maybe a wild card spot. And and what? They, $56 million <laughs> in payroll is going to do it? Yeah, I was, I was blown away by their winner because, you know, they made a lot of noise going into the winner about being active, not only on the free agent front, but the trade front. You know, they had... Even now, they have something like $20 million separating them uh, from last year's opening day payroll. And I thought that signing Charlie Morton was a great first step. You know, I got to hear Morton talk last All-Star game, and that's just a thoughtful, intelligent pitcher right there. And I think every team would want a guy who goes about his business with that much intent and that much, uh, you know, just, like I said, thoughtfulness, mindfulness. I, I, you know, you want him around your young pitchers, but 
after that, they really didn't do anything. I know they made an offer for Paul Goldsmith that included Jesus Sanchez. Obviously, Arizona went elsewhere. And then, you know, the only other name that they were really connected with strongly, it seemed like, was DJ LeMahieu. And, you know, he's not really a difference maker either. So all that talk about, oh, we're going to get a big bat. We're going to get, you know, we're going to spend at the top shelf or closer to the top shelf than normal. And they walked away with a lineup that added Mike Zanino, Yandy Diaz, and Avisel Garcia. Oh, and Guillermo Heredia. That's, mm. that's pretty that's pretty putrid when you still have the lowest payroll in baseball. And, you know, I know people were looking for reasons that Garcia and Diaz can perhaps be, you know, sleepers or hidden gems or whatever. And, you know, they both hit the ball hard, but they hit it on the ground. And look, Avisel Garcia, but let's just say he hits the ball hard on the ground. He has a career OPS on ground balls under 700. I, I mean, even with the turf, like, you know, that's not going to be, that's not a successful formula. He has to do something different. And I don't know. I'm, I'm disappointed by the winner. I really had high expectations heading into it, or at least expectations that they were going to get, you know, more of a sure thing because the raise way has always been, let's get, you know, these guys we can gamble on because we can't afford anyone else. Well, this was the winner for them to go out there and not gamble and to get more of a certainty, you know, signing is Monty Grandal. And I, you know, you can say, okay, they, they didn't realize Grandal would be still out there, but they had the chance to still sign him. You know, Mike Zanino shouldn't be blocking you from signing his Monty Grandal if you're able to sign his Monty Grandal. And, you know, they let Nelson Cruz go to one of their top contenders for a while, or, excuse me, one of their top competitors for that wild card spot in the Twins. And, you know, they just did things that uh, they passed on guys who really made a lot of sense for them. And it's hard to reconcile that with their talk and with their opportunity because, you know, this team is never going to spend a lot of money. I think we all know that. But, they have a very small window here where they're, you know, their best players are either pre-arb or in the early stages of arb. In a year, they're going to be excusing their lack of spending by saying, well, you know, Blake Snell is getting more expensive. Or, you know, in two years, it'll be, oh, Adamus is reaching arbitration. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was the window where they could have, you know, spent more money and also traded from their wealth of prospects. You know, not the top guys. I'm not saying trade the top guys. I'm saying trade from that 45 to 55 OFP range where you're not going to be able to keep every single guy because you look at their death chart. I mean, just think about the second base. They have Joey Wendell, Brandon Lau, Daniel Robertson, Christian Arroyo, if you want to throw him into the mix, and Nick Select. That's just, what is that, five guys? That's just at the top levels of their system. You know, you can include King Wong. You can include some of these other players who are infielders who don't really have spots nailed down. That's a lot of death, and don't keep you know, keep all those guys on the 40-man roster and, you know, keep shuttling them between AAA and uh, St. Pete. I, I just think that's a missed opportunity. And at some point, you have to consolidate your talent. And I thought they were starting to do that when they traded for Tommy Pham. But this winter, they really didn't do that. And it's disappointing. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, as a Blue Jays fan, we are sort of happy they didn't. But it was still, it would have been nice to see a team that was really in the spot to go for it, to actually go for it. But given that they didn't, do you think there's enough there to still make that push? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think they're clearly inferior to the Yankees and Red Sox. I don't think they're going to be, you know, I don't think there's any chance really of them winning the division. Um, I think they're clearly superior to most of the American League. And I think when you look at the American League, there's what, you know, maybe four or five teams you would say you would feel confident in saying are probably going to be in the race for that second wild card spot, you know. The Rays are, if not number one among those four or five, at least number two or number three, you have Minnesota, 
Obviously, people are, you know, kind of split on some of their additions. You have uh, the Angels, but they're always hurt. You have the A's, but their rotation looks really bad on paper. And then you have, you know, some of these teams that are, you know, maybe, you know, if you really want to talk yourself into Seattle or even Toronto. I mean, I think Toronto is like one of six American League teams, maybe seven American League teams that are projected to win more than 75 games by Dakota. I think it's six. And I mean, that's six out of 15. And, you know, the top three teams are superpowers. So you're really talking about, you know, a thin and kind of shaky middle class. So I don't know. I, I think Tampa Bay will probably be in the race, but I really thought that they were going to be more aggressive and kind of separate themselves. And instead, it seems like they're going to be competing with, you know, three or four other teams for that one playoff spot, because I don't think, I don't think, you know, realistically, they're uh, going to be a threat in the American League East. No, I mean, it's pretty hard to be one of those. Search for a second. I had to clear my throat there. But uh, so the rotation is going to be Morton, well, Snell, obviously, Snell, Morton, and uh, Glass now, and then two openers, yeah. I think is what they announced. Uh, is, is the hitting going to be enough to support that if, say, Glass now turns back into Pittsburgh Glass now? Like, are there guys that you expect to take on a kind of step forward or at least have the chance to that could help mitigate some regression? We're talking about offensively? Yes, hitters. That would help like, mitigate pitching regression. Well, you would have to assume Kiermaier will have a better season this year than last. And, you know, I'm kind of fond of Austin Meadows. Uh, I don't know about his health situation. I think that's kind of the X factor. You don't really know, you know, if he's going to play in 100 games. Is he going to play in 50 games? You don't really know. But I think there's a lot of potential there. You know, Brandon Lau kind of gets slept on. I think he's a solid all-around player, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's their starting second baseman uh, before the year is out. Maybe the same with Daniel Robertson. I mean, he kind of emerged last season. Uh, unfortunately, you know, mistimed due to injury, but I thought he was a really having a really impressive season as well. You know, he made some positive, uh, positive gains at the plate. And then I guess their first base situation is also going to be very interesting because they have some first base prospects on the way who you should take note of. I mean, everybody knows about Brendan McKay, I think, because of his two-way uh, play, but he's actually just going to be limited to DH this season in the field. So you can argue based on that, that their top first base prospect is a guy named Nathaniel Lowe, who they only drafted because they drafted his younger brother years ago. And so Nathaniel Lowe is having a pretty impressive spring. I mean, he hit one home run that, you know, they said went like 500 and something feet on a roll, which, you know, whatever, but you know, he's got a chance to be a pretty solid hitter. And I know he has fans in other front offices who have checked in on him. So yeah, uh, you know, those are some guys to keep in mind. They also have G-Man Choi, and I don't know. I mean, he's a he's a pet favorite of mine because he saw a ghost in his hotel room, but realistically, I don't think I would uh, <laughs> want to rely on him too much. <laughs> Adamus, I should... That is the weirdest scouting Adamus report line like, I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, look, you can Google G-Man Choi and ghost, and you will get... I don't, I don't want to get into that one, but it's it's uh, not Adonis, that he didn't say he, it. It's that you put it on your scouting report for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a positive to me. Yeah, hey, hey that's, there's nothing wrong with having that um, having that relationship with the next world. But uh, Julio Thomas, <laughs> you know, he plays with a lot of uh, verve, and I really I really enjoy watching him. You know, I think he's going to be a solid, good player as well. But a lot of it's going to also depend on a guy like Tommy Pham because, you know, we all know Tommy Pham has the potential to be above average to well above average hitter. And as long as he's happy and healthy, I think that's a, a decent bet. So I really like that deal for them. And yeah, otherwise, you know, it's going to be on some of these lottery ticket guys. You know, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, it, 
it really irks me because this is a team, an organization that's notoriously conservative with how they promote prospects. And I worry that they're going to stick with, you know, a Choi or a Garcia for a little too long. And it's going to end up costing them, you know, maybe a win here, maybe a win there. And with the way the American League looks clustered in the middle, you know, those four or five teams I keep mentioning, you know, that might be enough to cost them the playoff spot. So it's going to be interesting to see if they get a little more aggressive with that regard, because they do have some upside here and they do have some interesting players that they can conceivably throw out there if they want to. Well, the reason they're not going to call up Lau, sorry, Low, is because it's spelled the same as Lau and it's too confusing. Stop <laughs> <laughs> the fair. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to ask you to channel your psychic uh, connection uh, not in the same way that G-Man Choi did. And we're going to ask you to try and predict how many wins will the Rays get this year and will they make the playoffs with that number? I think I'd say like 85. I think that's, I think that's close to what Dakota and Fangraphs and these ever projection systems have, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, with the playoffs, I'll say, yeah, sure, why not? I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel too strongly about that second wild card spot. And I don't have, you know, I don't have a spirit popping up and telling me yay or nay, so I'm on my own here, and I'll just say, sure, why not? It'd All be right. good for the fan base. You know, that fan base is really, you know, they haven't had a whole lot to be happy about. And what, I mean, they haven't won a playoff series since 2008. So it's been 10-plus years, so why not? Why not? I think that's actually one of the uh, Magic 8-Ball <laughs> results that, uh, that we could shake and get if we wanted to try it that way. <laughs> Thank you very much for stopping by, RJ. It's been uh, a lot of fun. And uh, where can the folks follow you on the Twitter? Oh, they shouldn't. Okay, do not <laughs> follow r underscore j underscore Anderson because uh, yeah, uh, don't you know? There's a lot of people named uh, R J Anderson on the internet. Uh, I didn't figure you were a motorcycle or uh, sports car driving person. Uh, didn't think you were an author either, in in the sense of writing romance novels. Hey. Oh, um, right now. Well, here's the thing. If we're going to tie this segment together, there is an RJ Anderson out there who writes about fairies and uh, sci-fi stuff. So you don't know. Maybe maybe I'm Moonlight, you know. But actually, she's a, she's a seemingly nice woman from Britain. So shout out to her. The most successful RJ Anderson writer out there. All right. Thanks again, RJ. Have a good night. Of course. Thanks for having me. And we have returned. And I would have to say that uh, I, I would like to describe my my feelings about the Rays as frustrated. But I'm not actually frustrated that they don't spend money. Because if they did, then that would be like three teams in the division the Jays would have to hurdle over all the time. And I feel like that would be even more depressing. Yeah, I agree. And just a quick note. Obviously, it didn't come up in the interview. But we recorded that before the Blake Snell announcement. So the extension that he signed. So that's why RJ didn't talk about that, but that's still not really spending a lot of money. Certainly not spending money on him right now for his Cy Young win. <laughs> He's also not spending money to improve the team because he was already on the team. <laughs> that's how it goes. All right. We have questions from you. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First, I ask a question. Then you ask a question. And how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Um, I don't know. Sometimes we repeat the question, but is it fair, really, when we do that? <laughs> uh, I have accidentally closed the uh, tab that I had. Do, do, do. Oh, there we are. 
Okay. Well, I've got one here. So fire away. There's a a question here from Brian Donnelly, which we'll get to later because, frankly, we have something else to discuss as it relates to this question. So uh, first one from Zach Meyer. What at Zach B. Meyer? And he liked this. He liked his own question tweet, which was interesting. <laughs> what are the possibilities Bobachet will be up before Vlad? Sorry. When you like your own tweet, it's like, you got to pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, will Bobachet be up before Vlad? Was that the question? What are the possibilities? That what are the they possibilities? Uh, the possibility is that Vlad is really badly hurt and takes a long time to recover. Uh, That's the only way. Yeah. That, that, but what is that odds? I hope it's really low. Because as much as I'm going to love me some Bobichet hair flow and some, you know, serious attitude uh, that he seems to bring with him, I'm really much more looking forward to our large adult son, Vlad Jr., yeah, and I assume this just because Boba Shed had a really good spring training and the organization talked about how good he was, but no, he's still not coming up for at least probably three, four months. Right, because he really hasn't had that triple A time that Vlad did. I think people forget. Hasn't had any. That. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying is people forget that he was in double A last year, which, um, yeah, that's a big difference. Uh, we have another question from Brian Donnelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. Yeah, at Brian Donnelly 8, if people are wondering. Which Jay's blogs do you guys read? Which coverage is your favorite? Thanks. I don't read any of them. <laughs> um, it's not a comment on the quality of the other blogs. I just find that my online reading is not really served best by reading things about the Blue Jays because I'm not often reading things I don't already know, which sounds like really egotistical and braggy. But most of the things that people have to write about the Blue Jays right now are... <laughs> There's not a lot to say, so everything is everyone's kind of saying the same stuff. Yeah, I I think we had a point. Uh, I, I used to if if I, I would recommend anything, probably Blue Jays Nation would be my my go to blog. But I mean, there's a reason that BP Toronto, which is where we started, isn't really a thing anymore. Is our ability to to dig deeper? I think then is is harder with all of the information that's now out there in the mainstream media. Um, you know, the analysis from Baseball Savant and um, and all that kind of stuff. I think that, the and fan graphs, um, I think that sort of that niche stuff where you could poke around with statistics and try and figure them out, I think a lot of the teams and a lot of the, the, the big companies have figured out what points to hit on that, and it's harder to get into an angle that someone hasn't already written about. Yeah. It, yeah, blogging was uh, or is kind of a, a weird thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do not pay for a, a subscription to any Blue Jays blog. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Anyway, so it's not, again, not to denigrate the content. There's really good stuff that gets put out. And, like, if, you know, a good piece gets linked, I'll read it. But it's just I don't actively seek anything out. Yeah. Next question from Heated End at Heated End. If Charlie Montoya were to use a major league slash Lou Brown inspired motivation tactic this year, whose likeness would you use for the Rachel Phelps cardboard cutout? See, this heated end knows us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, Charlie Montoya trying to get the Blue Jays amped up about the person and or entities that really, really screwed them over. I don't think it could be the cardboard cutout because 
doesn't really work. <laughs> no, un- unless there's a cardboard cutout of Rob Manfred somewhere that I don't want to. <laughs> but why would anybody want that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the motivation. Is maybe you? Maybe it's something you uh, you just tear pieces off of. Uh, no, no. Every time you lose, you take a piece off. Ah, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> or like someone from Rogers. Uh, maybe Edward Rogers. Good old Ed- Eddie. Uh, Matt Sweeby uh, asks a couple of questions. Uh, One, the front office strategy seems to be to get as many as 40 to 40 to 45 future value FV, I assume is future value. Yep. Players see who turns into average players and then fill in around them via free agency. Who do you realistically think they could target in 2021 as a difference maker in the outfield and possibly a starting pitcher? So I I agree with, I, I think it's probably 45 to 50 future value guys that they're targeting, but the, the general idea is correct. Um, as for who to target, I think that the recent extension fever that we're seeing is kind of evidence that this is an impossible question to answer, especially for two years out. I mean, if you'd asked me beginning of, of last year, we were going to see Altuve, Goldschmidt, Arenado all hit the market at the end of this year, and none of those guys are going to make it. So... I, I, that's just impossible to answer. Uh, but if you have a crystal ball, let us know, and we'll bring it on the show. Yeah. And his second question, this is, again, to, from Matt Sweeby. After seemingly the entire bullpen is now on the shelf with elbow soreness, how about a little cheering up? Thanks, Matt. Which fictional character would you like to beat up? I've always wanted to fight Scrappy-Doo with a little, and then it's start out. Yeah. Um... <laughs> this is to cheer us up. <laughs> it's violent. Uh, it is violent, but wouldn't it be cathartic? I don't know. Like, I always wanted to kind of beat up Reggie Van Doe from the Richie Rich comics in that vein. Hmm. I'll go with the Xander character from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was just a jerk. <laughs> Find the jerks. Uh, Mike at Go Sends Go asks... Go Sends Go 101 asks, Do the Jays have the personnel for some creative bullpen tactics? They didn't have the personnel for a bullpen. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to, obviously, uh, yeah, you need personnel for just to show but, up. That would be yeah. helpful. But, you know, when everybody is healthy or healthier, I mean, I'm not even including Tepera and Axford because who knows about them. But if everybody else, Phelps, Richard or Buckholz, which everyone ends up in the bullpen, is there, the answer to this is actually, yeah, they do. Because they have guys like Paulino or Phelps that can go multiple innings. So they, it allows them to use creative opener strategies or, you know, pulling starters early and have the reliever bridge. So I think, yeah, they do actually have it. Andy, uh, hashtag save ODAAT at rally cap, of course, underscore rally cap, which Muppet would you, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Which Muppet would you want with you on a deserted Island? And then there is a follow-up tweet from him that says, I listen. So you better answer you cowards. Have we ever really like janked out on a question that was ridiculous before? This is what we live for. (laughs) The answer, it's a Swedish chef. Someone to cook meals for you. Like you, who knows what these berries are for? Like you, if you, slaughter an animal sorry Peter. but you, know, you need if they you need somebody to put it together so it's the swedish chef i feel Who like cares if sw- i can't understand what he's saying the swedish chef would bork, have been bork, bork. eaten by a shark within the first 25 minutes of being <laughs> on an island <laughs> like have you ever watched how badly it goes for the swedish chef you're thinking of bunsen and beaker but 
the, the Swedish chef, he's a Muppet. He's not, no one's gonna, no animal's going to want to eat him. He's made of felt and fluff. No, the Swedish chef has opposable thumbs and real hands. That would I could not do the Swedish chef in any close proximity to me. And I would pick Bunsen Honeydew. Um, but his experiments go worse. Yes, but if the island is on fire, chances are someone will see it and come and rescue us. <laughs> okay. See? No chickening out here. <laughs> but here's the thing. He doesn't have an assistant now, so it has to be you. You uh, are Beaker. <laughs> I used to be able to do that. <laughs> I've been laughing too much. Okay. We have another question, believe it or not. Luke at Split Letters. Ken Bower, Alfred Pitch? <laughs> no, but Ichiro can. Look, Bo, and Alfred, Bo and Alfred cannot pitch because they have not been designated as pitchers according to Rule 6. It's not 2020 yet. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> rules are rules, man. It's tough. Uh, <clears throat> those are all. I, yeah. Keep them coming, folks. I have no idea how that spectrum of questions ended up from the same group of people who listen semi-regularly it's because they listen to us that's how probably would you like to go to our next feature yes okay let's hand out a gold star i think that's rather brilliant so i did good right i mean i would have thought you'd get a gold star you enjoy that you've earned it so now let's Mm -hmm. read brian donnelly's other question (laughs) ah yes slight rewind Hi guys, I'm sure you say that saw. I'm supposed to say, I'm sure you saw the Jays are raising minor league pay by fifty percent. I think they've earned a gold star. You're right. <laughs> Just now. Do you know their other? Yeah, do you know their other minor league amenities relative to other teams? <clears throat> Before we give up the gold star, I'll just answer that second part. Uh, the Jays in the past have been trying to do more with uh, the way that they handled the food so that there was better prepared food for the players. But other than that, nothing else seemed that different until lately. Um, this does put them in the upper, I think someone said upper half of the way they compensate players cash-wise. Um, but 50% raise. This is not a fantastic, you know, making everybody rich in the minor league, but it was a cheap move. It's great PR. Uh, and it also opens up that conversation again for all the other teams to say, okay, Blue Jays did it. Why haven't you done it? Um, well, and here's the interesting thing about that. So I think it was I think minor leaguer cut, broke it down at minor leaguer that it would be about 1.6 million. I think the total cost of the team, which is nothing for a professional sports organization. But and we say that literally because one reliever on a mixed major minor league deal might cost twice that, and the team doesn't think twice about signing it. Right. So. You know, that's that's really nothing. So they're doing it, and that's great. And what I what's interesting though is that Major League Baseball, I think they might have pressured them into doing something because Jeff Passan for ESPN is reporting that Major League Baseball has been suggesting sweeping changes to the minor leagues, including a significant injury, increase in salary and better transportation, higher standard of living. And this is during the the collective bargaining with the group that oversees the minors. This like this process started right after the Jays told them that they were doing this. So the Jays trying to get ahead of that to say, "Oh, we're we're going to do it on our own. Don't don't force us to." 
No, no, no. The, the Jays started first. I think that it's possible the Jays pressured the league into pushing for this because once one team does it, everybody else looks bad if they're not doing it. Which is pretty cool. So also, I'd like to give a shout to Emily Walden. Um, Absolutely. Who has been pushing this issue much harder than we have and has been uh, all over it. It was her article in The Athletic um, that broke the story about the Blue Jays doing it. Uh, but also, that's uh, certainly not the beginning of her involvement. I'm sure it won't be the end. So we wanted to have Emily on to give us an update. It just did not work out timing-wise this week uh, because she has been on the pod before, and we really appreciate her efforts uh, on this front. So we're just trying and, to amplify. Yeah, she wrote a piece right before this about the money that they're not getting and some of the players and the hardships they deal with, which it's for the athletic. You have to pay to read them, but they're worth it. Go read them. Absolutely, 100%. Good to give a gold star out to the home team. Yeah, it doesn't happen that often. No, not not terribly. <laughs> not based on their record. All right, that means I'm going to ask you to hit me up with your final thought. Yeah, I was originally going to talk about this interesting trend of extensions for young players and how it sort of goes against what the Blue Jays are doing because you know what they're aiming for right now is as much flexibility as possible. And when you lock guys in, you don't get that. But instead, I'm going to talk about the fact that this Blue Jays weirdness it you know when it's opening day starts because now next week you're not gonna have any final thoughts because we're doing our 25 and 50 it's still gonna be really fun to watch blue jays baseball for real again and that's it that's my final thought i'm really looking forward to the season (laughs) i didn't didn't want to cut you off but um so i my final thought uh is the first couple of, of games of the regular season actually occurred in japan this year um, where the Seattle Mariners went over to Japan. Um, and they're officially, now I could swear this already happened, but uh, Ichiro Suzuki, after those two games, announced that he is retiring. Um, yeah. that, that is seriously uh, the most appropriate way, I think, that Ichiro could, could end uh, his career um, in the majors, to do it in Japan, in his home country, and uh, in, in a game where... Um, Kikuchi, who is, you know, the next maybe big Japanese phenomena, was pitching for the first time. So I, I think um, just a shout out to Ichiro uh, for all of the hits and uh, all of the just incredibly different looking and amazing stuff he did over the course of his very long career, which was already followed a significant career in Japan. He is... You know, he, he maybe not my style of baseball. Certainly, he is a wonder to behold, though. Yeah. I almost transitioned into that when I was talking about what I was going to talk about. Then I remembered you were going to talk about it. So <laughs> I, that's where my that's why I final thought kind of <laughs> fell off the rails there. But Thank uh, you for not stealing my final thought from my brain. <laughs> you're welcome. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ichiro was he was a marvel. He's a lock Hall of Famer. And if you can. Go check out just when he came off the field, like the the raw emotion of some of the players. You know, like you say, Kahuchi was basically crying. I mean, because you know, he grew up watching Ichiro, so you know it was a really cool moment. Yeah, that's like like they say in uh, I think it was in Moneyball. How can you not be romantic about baseball? That's yeah. it. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem, and our guest was RJ Anderson at R underscore J underscore Anderson. 
And this has been episode number 134 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will run down the rather depleted roster with you next week. Mm-hmm.